that was all really cute. All right, we're recording now. Okay. <laughs> As in, it's the club I'm that a nobody bummed wants. Because that was all really adorable. <laughs> that was really adorable. <laughs> I was gonna put that. Yes. I was gonna do that. <laughs> was oh, that would have been so good. Okay. okay, it's the club that nobody wants to join, or the club Be that in. The club nobody wants. Okay, so okay, so I go. So go. Hey, welcome to the site. And you say, the club that nobody wants to be in, we get you yeah, listed. I say, I'm Kate. And you say, I'm, I'm Belle. Not. And then you say, and we're just two girl. dead girls. <laughs> oh, we're not. We are not dead. We're not dead moms. We have dead moms. <laughs> we're two dead <laughs> girls. <laughs> okay. And we are two, two girls alive with dead moms. Okay. It's only called Dead Mom Society. Oh my god. This is hysterical. Okay, let's do it. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Okay. 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 Hi, and welcome to Dead Mom Society. The club that nobody wants to be in. We get you. Let's do this. I'm Kate. I'm Mel. And today we're gonna be taking a deep dive into my journey. Mel is graciously interviewing me. She did a wonderful job, and I talked for way too long. So I've had to do a lot of editing, but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go for it. <laughs> so it's all about about uh, talking uh, about uh, your talking dead about mom. About your yeah, dead mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fun. Okay. Anywho, um, we recorded this episode a couple of weeks ago, but we wanted to get back on the mic because we just released our first episode. A little over a week ago and we wanted to reach out and just say thank you so much for listening this has been a little bit overwhelming if we're being honest when we first started talking about this we knew it was going to be really healing for us and we hoped other people would listen and have it be healing for them as well but to be honest i didn't really expect anyone to listen <laughs> so the fact that people have listened is extraordinary and it feels amazing but it's also brand new and feels super vulnerable yeah I think Kate and I have both had a really unique experience in the aftermath of the first episode airing. We're just so entirely grateful that there are people out there who want to join us on this journey. Uh, We're just so grateful that this is reaching people more Mm -hmm. than the zero people we thought (laughs) we would get to. Uh, Like Kate said, we kind of went into this knowing that it would be healing for us and hoping it would be healing for at least one person. Nevertheless, a bunch of you. So thank you for listening. We're really excited. Uh, But I did just want to kind of say that I hope the first episode kind of gave a good look into the reality of grief. But I just wanted to follow up and say that after the first episode, I even had a little bit of insecurity and weird like guilt stuff about my grief. I posted on their Instagram last, I think it was Friday. Mm -hmm. It was November 8th. Um, because that is the anniversary of finding out that my mom had cancer, had terminal cancer. And I drafted this post and I felt really good about it. I texted Mel the caption. It's like, this is what I'm going to say. What do you think about it? She was like, that's beautiful. It sounds good. And I had a lot of hesitation before pressing post because I thought to myself, I was like, no one wants to hear this. No one wants to hear me talk about my dead mom. This is a reality that I live in every day. This is a reality that so many of my friends understand, so many of my family members live through as well. And I was just thinking, this is, people are assaulted with it enough. They don't need to hear about it in an Instagram post as well. And then I said, snap out of it. This is the entire reason for this podcast. People need to talk about their grief when they want to talk about their grief. And if you are uncomfortable by it, and if you 
are not, that's not what you signed up for. That's a hundred percent fine. No blame. You can drop off. It's really cool. But just going forward, I'm not going to feel guilt about talking about my dead mom. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be a challenge. It's going to be something I'm not used to. It's going to be feeling really weird, but I am not going to feel bad about talking about something that I live through every single second of every single day just because I'm afraid people don't want to hear about it. And I think what Kate talks about and like those feelings are so real for so many people. We were talking about, especially in this, for Kate, her second year without her mom. It's this like insecurity that comes with the aftermath of the shock of losing that person, the firsts. Everyone is so understanding about the firsts. The first Mm -hmm. this, oh, it's your first this without them. It's your first this without them, oh. And it gets to the seconds, and the seconds are just as hurtful, just as hard, maybe even more hard, because it kind of sinks in in the second year. And nobody's really checking in like they were on the firsts. And you start to feel weird about talking about it because people have heard you talk about this for a year now. And it's like, okay, people have got to be getting annoyed at me. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my friends because I keep talking about the person I lost that put me in this state of mind. And any sort of loss kind of triggers that feeling of losing your person, even if it's the, the possible loss of a friendship because you're feeling guilty about talking about your dead mom. It's just... It can become such a spiral, and I think Kate was so clear and put it wonderfully about struggling with something and doing it anyway, too, mm. especially when it comes to talking mm. about your grief. And Kate's right when she says, you know, if if you are uncomfortable talking about it, obviously, that's okay. There's no right way to grieve. Mm-mm. However, I do, you know, I do challenge you if you're uncomfortable listening to it or tapping into how you're feeling about it in a private moment. If there's, if you're feeling uncomfortable there, I invite you to explore a little bit more because there's usually something under that, that, that can feel really like a weight off your shoulders if you go deep enough and you're willing to kind of work through it. Absolutely. It's not a fun feeling. It's uncomfortable. It's terrible really. And it's a feeling I don't wish upon anyone. But unfortunately, it's one of the most common feelings that unite the human race. <laughs> yeah. Is grief. It's grief. Everyone goes through it. Everyone will go through it. And that's just how it is, unfortunately. So, yeah, I'm totally with Mel. Um, the second year, it's been interesting. And I don't think I've really taken a moment to recognize how I've been feeling about it, honestly, until this podcast was released, which is kind of funny because, like Mel said, there's so much attention on your first year you know the first mother's day are you okay i'm so sorry you don't get to spend this day with the person you love christmas your mom didn't make your christmas breakfast how do you feel about that thanksgiving my sister and i made thanksgiving dinner last year and it was great and we're doing it again this year and it's you know it's it's just it's more of the same it's more of the loss but there's just not as much space being hold or being held in my eyes, which could be completely untrue. It could be completely untrue. There could be so much space still held for me, but just speaking as someone who's experiencing it, sometimes it does feel a little bit isolating. Yeah. And if you feel isolated, you're not alone. No. Which is so counterintuitive, you know? I feel isolated, but I don't necessarily feel alone. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. another point of this podcast is 
to let everyone know that even though you feel lonely, you are not alone. You are not alone. And, you know, Kate brings up a really good point, and that's perception makes up such a huge part of your grieving experience. So it can't be discounted because all you have is your own perception and maybe our perceptions on this podcast or your friend (laughs) who you can relate to. But your perception and how you're feeling is what's going to matter if you get through the day or not. So like Kate says, those isolating feelings of you can be with the person you love the most. Like I remember many times being with the people I love the most in my second year And having to excuse myself to go to the bathroom to cry. Not because someone said something about my mom. Not because, like, I remembered a memory. Just because it was that moment, again, of realizing my life seems normal and my mom's not here. And that is such an isolating feeling that you can't really share with many people. And so I felt, personally, like I had to remove myself from a situation with people I love just to feel that moment, to be able to cry about it alone because it's so isolating. Mm -hmm. And there's something about the insecurity about talking about grief and the guilt about talking about grief that's isolating as well because people don't feel guilty when they talk about a car accident they were in or people don't feel guilty when they're talking about an injury they had or something that they won one time, a fight they were in. And it's like, if people don't feel guilty about talking about their life experiences, there's nothing to feel guilty about talking about our death experiences. Mm. Yeah. I have nothing to follow up with. (laughs) That was perfectly executed. (laughs) That was gorgeous. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. Okay. Anywho... We just want to do a quick little check-in, a quick little thank you, and we will get to the episode now without further ado. So thanks for tuning in again. Hope you enjoy this uh, very dark, very sad episode about my life. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. Get your tissue boxes, people. Oh, yeah. I got choked up once. (laughs) Our podcast is best paired with a glass of wine and a tub of ice cream. Mm, So just so... Absolutely. I'm personally having a margarita right now, but you know, (laughs) like... It's close enough. It's close enough. <laughs> What's the difference to an alcoholic? You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so yeah, here we go. So today, we are going to do a deep dive into Caitlin's relationship with grieving her mom. Woo! <laughs> Fun, <laughs> Fun stuff! <laughs> okay! <Jinx. laughs> Woo! Um, so we're just going to dive right into it. Yeah, let's do it. First of all, what is your mom's name? Oh, my mom's name is Kimberly Ann Clark Ryan, um, real just Kim Ryan, mm-hmm. but she got her name really cutely because her parents were expecting a boy. They didn't find, the, find out the sex of baby, but um, they're expecting a boy because everyone in that age wanted boys more than girls for <laughs> whatever reason I don't understand, <laughs> but they hadn't picked out a name. And when she was born, they looked around the hospital room, this is a true story, and saw a tissue box with the name Kimberly Clark on it. And that's oh how she got Oh my gosh. So she's that named, is so cute. Yeah, she's named after toiletries. So, yeah. That's her name. Kim Ryan, though. Kimmy. And what was your favorite thing about your mom? Oh, boy. That's a tough one. Tough to choose. But I really loved... 
Well, the obvious one is her laugh. Mm-hmm. She had the best laugh in the entire world. And she could just absolutely light up a room just by walking in because she just had this like glowy, positive brightness about her. And it was totally, you could hear that so clearly in her laugh. Um, it was really loud and it was really silly. <laughs> and she also was really easy to make laugh. So that was, that was a really great part about her because um, she just, I don't know. You could make it the dumbest joke in the world and she would still laugh or like, I don't know. I really love it about her. And I definitely got a little bit of it. Um, hopefully more than a little bit of it. People say that my laugh reminds them of her, which is really lovely to hear because I really like to laugh as well. Mm-hmm. And it's really loud um, and obnoxious. <laughs> and, and usually makes other people laugh too because my laugh is silly. So that's good. <laughs> but I, I love that about her. And I guess I know that kind of just like encompasses like my favorite part about her because she just was, she's just sunny. Yeah. I love that. That's my favorite part. I love that. Yeah. What was your relationship with your mom like? Really great. Um, she was one of my best friends. Um, I have a big sister, Megan. She's three years older. Um, and my dad, Joe. And Megan and my dad are very similar. Um, and my mom and I are very similar. And we used to say, um, we used to call ourselves the blondies and the brownies. It's <laughs> just so dumb. But I loved it. Because um, usually the brownies were on each other's team and the blondies were on each other's team. And, um, but it's, it, we have an awesome dynamic between our family because... Um, my dad and I can chat till we're blue in the face. Like mm-hmm. we love to call each other on the phone and we love to just chit chat while my mom and I didn't really chat. Um, but we just liked being around each other. Like we liked going on outings. We liked just going on walks or I used to hate going to the grocery store, but I would do it with her because I liked going to the grocery store with her. <laughs> um, and that's kind of the same, like with my dad and sister and my mom and sister where my mom and sister can talk so much. Um, they can just chit chat. And then my dad and sister, do I would say a lot more like activities together because they're just more similar people so my mom was my teammate um she was everyone's teammate but we had a really cool relationship because um we just really were always pretty much on the same side of things um you know whether it be like politically or um the certain shows we liked or the music we liked mm-hmm. or the clothes we liked you know just very um kind of similar Similar things going on, and we just we just got along great, you know. Like just as as good as two people can get along, and we loved to dance together. We loved dancing, and I mean that was just kind of our relationship. Where you know I could be a crab sometimes, and she would sing <laughs> me a song, and she would make me laugh, you know, like, and it would, I, it's this one song, and she would sing it to me all the time, and she would start it, and I'd be like, I don't want to hear this song, don't sing this to me, and then by the time it was done, I was in a better mood, because <laughs> parents have that thing about them, I guess, or like, I don't know, she loved going on Saturday morning walks, that was her thing, she went with her friends, Christy, Patty, and Roseanne, and that was what they did every single Saturday, and I used to hate going on them because I would come home from college and I'd be like, I finally get to sleep, you know, I'm at home, I get to sleep. And she would not let me sleep. Um, she would come to my room and wake me up and say, we're going on a walk. And I'm like, no, I'm sleeping. And she's like, no, you're already awake. <laughs> like, so or she would send my dog in there. Like, she would literally like open the door and be like, go get her. 
and he would run and jump on me. And she's like, oh my god, you're up. Okay. You can come on a walk now. So, yeah, we had an amazing relationship. Um, She was my homie. We just loved each other. A lot. Yeah. And she was fucking cool. That's amazing. Yeah. So, when you've talked a little bit in the first episode about the moment you found out it was terminal. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you remember the moments you found out she was sick the first and the second time? Yes, I do. So my mom got breast cancer the first time when I was in eighth grade. And I actually found out on accident. My parents have this really awesome thing that they do where they keep secrets from (laughs) me and my sister. And it's something that we have really had a lot of discussions about. (laughs) They can't do that. I remember it pretty clearly, actually. It was a spring day, and she was a teacher, and I was in elementary school, well, eighth grade. Um, And there was some, we were off for some reason. I don't remember why, but it was a school day. But we were home, just me and my mom. My sister was in high school, so different schedule or something. I don't know. But I found a card in her car for Women's Imaging Center, like, a couple weeks ago. And I was like, what, what is this? And she was like, I, everything's fine. I'm just getting some scans. Like, routine. Everything's fine. And I was like, okay. And then we were there. We were at home watching a movie or something. And we got a phone call. And it was the home phone. So it showed up on the screen. It showed up on the TV. Who was calling? Mm. Women's Imaging Center. Mm. And I was like, mm-mm. And she took the call upstairs. She went upstairs. And she was oh like, just gosh. keep watching. Everything's fine. I'll come back down she's upstairs for an hour like a whole hour and I was like and it I it, it took everything in me to just like stay downstairs but I do have this thing where I like Mel said I'm a strategizer like mm-hmm. I want to get in it and I want to fix it immediately and I want to figure out a plan and we're gonna just like we're gonna work on it we're gonna do this and so I tried really hard to just like stay downstairs because I was like okay She'll come tell me when she, you know, mm-hmm. fine. But it was an hour, and so I went up there, and um, she was crying, and she was still on the phone, and she hung up, and she looks at me, and I was like, what's going on? She just said, it's cancer. I didn't know what to do in that moment. My heart kind of stopped, and I sat on her bed, and she called my dad and just said, it's what we thought. He came home. And it was really sad. Um, and it was really scary. And she said, don't tell your sister. Oh, no. Um, no. Which was awful. Because <laughs> my sister had a dance and a really big swim meet that weekend. Like, literally, that was the reason. Which is so silly now that, like, when you say it. But she was, you know, a junior in high school. Yeah. My parents were like, she needs to have fun. Um, so, yeah, they didn't, they didn't tell her. And it was absolute torture. I had to keep that secret for three days. Oh, my God. I couldn't tell anyone and that my mom had cancer. The one person who would yeah. want to com- commiserate with exactly. you. Like- exactly. It was awful. Um, but eventually came out, you know, and it was a really small thing. I mean, it was like, it was a tiny, tiny, tiny little piece of cancer and they just did a lumpectomy and they just went in there and grabbed it and got it out. No radiation, no nothing. Like it was, it was, it was just a little blip. And that little blip was fine for seven years. 
Seven years. Nothing. And for most people who family members have had cancer, you know that five years is, five for most years. cancers, mm-hmm. five years is the mark of being in remission. Yep. Five years. So. However, my sweet mother was 44, um, which is young to get a breast cancer diagnosis. It's hit three generations of our family on that side. Her, her grandma, I, th- I believe, passed away from breast cancer, and then her aunt um, had breast cancer. And so it, you know, wasn't good, but, like, after seven years, you kind of forget, you know, mm-hmm. especially because it was so small. You're just mm-hmm. like, oh, I guess we're fine. Um, and then it was junior year. I don't remember if she had been going in for tests or not. I don't really remember. I think she had been. Um, I think she had found a lump. Um, so she had found a lump, but it was painful this time, and it was different from last time. So we were, like, ho- more hopeful. We were like, mm-hmm. okay, um, hopefully it's just, like, <laughs> not cancer this time. <laughs> um, but it was. And we found out the day before we had to leave on a family vacation in Mexico with my dad's entire family. Um, so that was interesting. I think we found out on, like, oh December, God. like, it was, like, December 23rd, because we left on Christmas Day. <laughs> so. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so, I don't, we didn't find out the stage or anything like that. We just, we just found out that she had cancer, again. Not, no other information. Um, and it sucked. And she was like, well, there's nothing we can do about it now. And I just, we have no information, so we might as well just go enjoy Mexico. There was one day in Mexico where my mom had a hard time getting out of bed. She just really wanted to go home. And it was like a tough, it was tough to be there. It really was hard. And then we got home, more tests, more scans, blah, blah, blah. Find out it's um, stage three. The real, like, big defining thing was whether it was going to be in the lymph nodes or not. So she decided to get a um, unilateral mastectomy, just her left breast. Um, it was a long surgery and it was really hard to say goodbye to her when she <laughs> was like wheeled away. It was really hard. And they were doing the lump the, or the mastectomy, but also like exploratory surgery as well, trying to figure out where else it was. And it was unfortunately in her lymph nodes, which meant really, really, really intense chemo, really, really, really intense radiation. Um, and we had to tell her twice, which was really freaking sad because she didn't remember the first time. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so we had to tell her again when she was more awake. Um, and what followed that summer was just appointments and appointments and appointments and appointments and appointments. Luckily, it was like, you know, summer between college. So I got to go to almost every single chemo appointment with her. She had 20 rounds of chemo. Um and I got to be there for, I mean, probably like 15 of those weeks. So wow. like, that was really great. And like Mel said last time, the oncology nurses are incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Molly and Bridget, shout out. They're the best. We mm-hmm. still message on Instagram. Like they're like literally the most amazing people in the mm. entire world. Um, and it's actually kind of fun too, because we've seen them through so much life. Like when they, when we met them both, I, I believe they were both engaged oh. and they both got married. Um, Molly has two kids, Bridget has one, and it's just like been really sweet to kind of like watch their journey from afar, and they've just been really supportive. Anyway, so yeah, that was intense, and she like, you know, lost her hair and everything, and just was feeling pretty bad all the time. We made it through, got to a year, and found out that she had 
stage four metastatic breast cancer about a year and a month after her last treatment. So super shitty. So shitty. Super, super, super shitty. But, you know, finding out that your parent has cancer three fucking times is not fun. No. You know, getting that phone the call. The opposite of fun. Three actually. times is terrible. So. And the first and second time doesn't prepare you for the third time. No, it doesn't. You know, you can never be prepared for it. You could be told in five years your parent's going to get cancer. And then you get the phone call and it doesn't fucking matter. Like, it still sucks. It you know? still like, sucks. It's, it, it's, it is the wind knocked out of you. And it's the scariest thing in the entire world. And you just have to sit there and you have to think. And you don't want to because you don't want your mind to go there. But it is impossible for your mind to not go to worst case scenario. And mm-hmm. my mind went to worst case scenario. And then the worst case scenario happened. You know? Like, which fucking sucks. It's bullshit. <laughs> it is bullshit. <laughs> you know? Cancer sucks. And losing your parents sucks. One. And that's... I just know that we've talked about this feeling you had, especially in Paris, of not being able to do anything. And I remember you looking at me and saying, what do you? What do I do? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Because cancer is insidious, and it's slow-moving and so fast at the same time. And I remember you being like, what did you do with Anna? And I just remember thinking, all you have is time. Yeah. That's it. And to just spend the time, even if it's bad time, it's not bad time because it's time with that person. And you just did that so well. And can you tell us about what it looked like for you to be a caretaker the third time your mom found out she had cancer? Yeah. Um, Okay. So after I got back from my trip, um, and also (laughs) just so everyone knows, I wanted to come home so bad. Like I told my mom, I was like, I'm going to, I'm coming home. I'm not finishing the trip. And she lit, I'm not joking, (laughs) said, if you come home, I will never forgive you. And that was striking to me. And I was like, okay, fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you, I'll stay. (laughs) I I don't want to be here. Yeah, I was furious. Um, but then I had the best trip of my entire existence. So whatever, it's fine. Um, but you see, it was like, it was hard. Um, but I came home and they said two to three years, we got 20 months, um, give or take. I was really nervous about the aftermath. Because I didn't know, you know, as everyone is, when you know your parent's going to die, you're just like, okay, how do what? It's interesting. I've had this debate with people before. Not debate, but just debate. Like, just a question, you know, what's better? Knowing your parent's going to die or just having them die and not having that thing hanging over you? And I think the latter is a tragedy. I have known people who have lost people in an instant. You know, car crash, heart attack, something like that. And it's, it is a tragedy because you don't... You just don't know. You didn't know it was coming. You, you know, the last thing you could have said to them would have could have been horrible. Or like you, you had it. You didn't hug them. You know, and I can't imagine being haunted by that Mm-mm. forever. I cannot imagine that. And so I, like Mel said, I was given time, and I was like, I'm gonna do whatever I can with this time. I'm gonna make this time count. But I didn't know how to do that. And I, the reason I go to therapy is to get ideas on how to combat things and I like to make plans. So I'll go and I talk about how I'm feeling and I say, I have questions about this. I have questions about this. And then that they're like, I'm like, what do you think? Like, 
what are some ideas to help me here? What are some ideas to help me with this? And so that's what I went, that's what I did. I went to an oncology um, specific therapist to kind of figure out how I was going to tackle <laughs> this future okay. grief I was going to have. Um, and she introduced me to this term called complicated bereavement. And she was like, what we don't want is we don't want you to have that. And that just means after your person is gone, you have a bunch of regrets. You have a bunch of feelings of, I wish I would have done this, I wish I would have done this. You know, bargaining. The five stages of loss and grief, bargaining is a huge part of that for people who do have time. Because looking back on that time, if you didn't, you know, quote unquote, spend it well, it sucks. feels bad. So that was what our goal was to not have complicated bereavement. So I made plans. Um, we did like a family photo shoot in the same park that we had our very first family photo shoot when I was a wee little babe. Um, <laughs> so that was really fun. And we went on the, that awesome Europe trip and just like really made a lot of plans and really just did shit that we were planning on doing with the rest of our lives and then just didn't get the chance to. So we just pushed everything up, which was awesome. I was her primary caretaker when things declined. Um, she went to hospice on February 20th, 2020. We were told by her oncologist that it was going to be a matter of days because she was really sick. She had been having chemo in pill form and then they were like, okay, it's not working anymore. Do you want to do, you know, more intense chemo with like the IV and stuff? And my mom really didn't, but they were like, it could, could, could go, could go great. She had one treatment and that I, that treatment killed her. It was so awful on her system. She had an insane amount of like fluid in her belly um, and they couldn't drain it. And it just like, it's just like, she got really sick. And she also lost all of her hair immediately, which fucking sucked. Because she had this gorgeous head of hair that she had grown back and just one treatment just zapped it all away again. God <laughs> damn it. Bummer. It was a bummer. She'd had the treatment, went back to chemo two weeks after her first treatment, after she had been super sick for two, two full weeks. And her oncologist, um, who's amazing, Dr. Berge was the best, the best guy. Um, and he said, uh, we can't, there's nothing more we can do for you. If we give you this treatment, it will kill you. Sorry. You're in hospice, essentially. So my dad called me at work and said, your mom's in the hospice. And... To me, that meant she is dying right now, you know, like, because when you hear the word hospice, you think there's nothing more this, that we can do for this person. They're going to die immediately. They're going to die tomorrow. And that's not how it always is. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's that way. Sometimes it's not. My mom, stubborn lady that she was, <laughs> held on for three and a half months. Yeah. And seriously, <laughs> it sounds funny when, <laughs> when I talk about it now. Those three days, because <laughs> the doctor said three-ish days, we were like straight up dramatic about it. <laughs> like, we were so dramatic. Like my cousin Carrie and my Aunt Donna, um, Carrie lives in Texas and my Donna was visiting her at the time. They like, Donna cut her trip short and they flew home, like oh from, flew to Denver to like be with my mom. And so many of my dad's siblings were like, can we come out? Can we, what should we do? Should we blah, blah, blah. And my mom, <laughs> she sounds so dumb, but like, she, she is, this is not funny, okay? <laughs> People are going okay. through this, it's not funny, but when I think about it now, it's really funny just knowing that she held on for so long. <laughs> she was like not, she was half here, half there. 
Um, and she was sitting in this chair and she kept putting her arms up <laughs> and she just kept going, I'm stuck in the mud, I'm stuck in the mud. Because she was half, you know, somewhere else. We were like, what are you, what are you talking about? And she was like, oh man, I'm just stuck in this mud. But, but my dad and Joe, your dad, they're pulling me out. And we just tried to describe, she, we tried to get her to describe the scene. Mm-hmm. And um, this beautiful scene she described, she said that she was just stuck in this big puddle of mud and that her dad and my dad's dad, who was also deceased, um, pulled her out. And then she walked across this meadow. Then it was oh had gosh. dew drops on it. And it was oh, this the gorgeous meadow. And then she met her mom, um, um, who was wearing a really pretty sundress and had a tray full of Arnold Palmer's. <laughs> That was the scene she described. That is, which is so, so sweet, amazing. so sweet, and it was awesome. You know, like it was actually really cool getting to see a person. I'm not religious. I don't know what's next, but um, she really was, and so she was seeing heaven. She was seeing her heaven, and that was pretty cool to like get to watch so someone cool. be halfway in heaven. Like that's pretty. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. So she was kind of like that. Um, for a couple days and our hospice nurse from uh, Denver Hospice came over, Cynthia, who's amazing. And she had kind of assessed my mom and was like, yeah, she's not going to die tomorrow. And we were like, <laughs> what? What are you talking about? And she was like, she has probably another couple months. And we said, how many months? And she was like, um, no less than, no more than six months. And we were like, six months? And we were like, <laughs> what? We won the lotto. No. There's <laughs> no We said goodbye. Yes, exactly. <laughs> People flew in. We had these really dramatic conversations. We, I like was crying at her bedside. Like, what are you talking about? Like, we, we did like, it. Yeah, no, she's going tomorrow. And so he was like, mm, no, no, no. She's going to be around for a little bit longer. And we were like, okay, you're full of shit. You don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy. We literally were like, we're going to request a different nurse because she has no idea what's going on. Oh my God. She, right, obviously. Um, and she held on for three and a half months. She died June 7th, 2020. I work a desk job. And so as everyone knows, we shut down. COVID shut everything down. So I um, worked from home every single day. And I had an apartment at this point. I had moved out um, in January. So it was really, really, really great to wake up in my apartment, commute to my parents' house, sit on a couch all day long and work and get to be with my mom. We played so many games of cribbage. Mm-hmm. Um, she's really great at cribbage. And I'm good. I'm not great, though. Mm-hmm. But she was, like, <laughs> losing her mind a little bit. So she didn't, <laughs> she didn't, like, count like she should have. And she would, like, miss points. And you were <laughs> and like... me being the evil person was like, fuck yeah, I'm beating <laughs> her and everything. I'm winning all the time. And I started making a tally of <laughs> games that I won. And I think she won, like, two, and I probably won, like, 15. <laughs> oh, my God. And there, I mean, there were so many times, and I was like, Mom, you have a couple more points. And she would shake her head, and she, was, she would shake her head like she's trying to just come back to her sense. She'd be like, oh, I don't know. What's going on with me today? <laughs> and I was like, no, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I'll just win. Don't worry. Um, but we, yeah, we had a great time together, you know? We played Scrabble. We just, we were just together. And... Obviously, looking back on it, you can look back on that time with rose-colored glasses, but during it, it was difficult. It was hard. I was not sleeping very much. Um, And also, um, having a dying parent that really has been ready to die and then isn't dying as quickly as they want is really, really hard. Um, My mom 
I love her. She was unpleasant at certain times. There was a lot of really beautiful times. I would say she was unpleasant 10% of the time, which is a really small number. But gosh, the times that were bad days were like really bad days. And she, um, she got stubborn, you know, and she just really wanted to die. And she was really frustrated that it wasn't happening. She would feel awful when she would eat certain food, but she really wanted to eat like green chili. Why would you eat <laughs> green chili when you're a dying person? I don't know, but she would. And, and she would feel awful after and she would throw up and she wouldn't sleep. And so it got really frustrating at certain points because I'm like, mom, like you keep saying you want to go, but then you're, you can keep eating. And, and this is not making you go any faster. It's just making you feel worse while you're here. Like if you keep feeding your body, you're going to keep sticking around. And that was like really difficult for me because my mom is so stubborn and so strong. And she was like losing some of that stubbornness and she was losing a little bit of her grit. And that was difficult to see because the thing that she was stubborn about is wanting to die. And then she kept doing all these things that weren't letting her die. And I was like, you're so stubborn. Like, what do you mean? You're just like going back. Like, what do you, Mm -hmm. you're not helping yourself achieve the thing that you want the most. You're only making yourself more miserable. Like not only are you prolonging this awful part of death, but you are doing things to make yourself feel bad. And that was really frustrating for me, especially as the person who would have to, you know, hold the bowl under her chin when she was vomiting. And the person who, you know, it was tough. Certain days were tough. But again, looking back on it, I'd have a thousand of those bad days for one good day, really and truly. Which is hard. But... That's what happened. But majority of the time really was awesome. And she would, you know, wake up every morning and she would look at me and say, I don't know what to wear today, Kate. Why don't you pick out something fabulous? <laughs> like every day. Oh. And every day I would pick out a pair of sweatpants and a sweatshirt. <laughs> and that's what she wore. And like, it was literally, there's like five sweatshirts and like five sweatpants. And we would like rotate between and we would, you know, mix and match. And it was really exciting. <laughs> so um, I love that. You know, my dad and my sister, my sister's a teacher, so she just didn't get the opportunity to um, be at home as much. And then my dad owns a lawn care company, and so same thing, you know, he had a business to run. So I'm really, really glad that I was able to kind of, like, do that. But also, if I wasn't able to do that, I think I would have, it would have been awful. I mean, there was, from the time she went to hospice to the time she died, I was not at the house for two days. One of those days is because my coworker got covid I had not been in contact with this person, but you know, like that would super suck if I brought COVID home to my mm-hmm. mom because then she would die in a room by herself. Mm-hmm. So that would suck. And then the other day, um, I had a bit of a uh, breakdown and cause I was just really stressed and it was a lot. And so I had to take a day to be by myself, but it was really hard day and I didn't want to do it and I didn't like it, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I did a lot during that time. I asked her a lot of questions. I told her how much I loved her every minute of every day. And she did the same. And um, the last coherent conversation that we had was really, really beautiful. And I am so grateful that I got that time and that I 
got so much closure from her. Um, one of the last things she said to me was that I was a good human, which is like fucking cool, you know, to hear that from your favorite person in the entire world. And it was simple and it was sweet. It is always in my mind. How has your grief affected your relationships with your friends? Hmm. My friends are the most supportive, amazing friends in the entire world. I am very lucky in that I just have a lot of friends in a lot of different circles. So, you know, I can move from group to group, person to person, when I feel that I've exhausted them on my grief, um, which is a tough feeling to have, but it happens. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's valid, you know? Like, sometimes you really can't be the person that your grieving friend needs you to be. And it's better to just be honest and just say, I love you. I am here for you, but I can't be what you need me to be today. Yeah. That's okay. I can say that. I remember one of my therapists telling me one time (laughs) to just spread the wealth. (laughs) And it's just a good way of saying it. And it cracks me up because it's true. It's a lot. Yeah. So that's amazing. You have multiple groups that you can go to. It is great. Um, and my friends are amazing and I know this sounds odd, but my mom's funeral was one of the best nights of my life. Um, because we got to have a very small, because it was COVID, we had a really, really, really small service. Um, and this is going to sound not small. It was 80 people, but the church that we had it in was really big. So like there was social distancing rules and everything (laughs) like that. But Small in the sense that if it we if we'd had a real funeral, it would have been in the thousands, mm-hmm. like absolutely no doubt. Um, she just touched so many people because it was small. We actually weirdly got to make a guest list for her, for her <laughs> funeral, which was really interesting. So we invited you know all of the necessary people of her friends, all the people that were in her life consistently, and then my sister and I each got to invite like six or seven friends, and I got to have the people there that really saw me through not just her death, but I knew the people that I got to have there were people that had seen me through, you know, the last couple of months, last couple of years with her cancer, but also that I knew were going to be there, really be there a lot in the next couple of months, years, whatever, to help me through this um, experience. After the service, there was a small gathering at my mom's best friend Christy's house, and after that, um, we went over to Christy's daughter, Emily. They bought a house. <laughs> she and her wife bought a house literally like a block away, which is awesome. That's amazing. So we went to their house after. I It was a night of champagne and sushi. Really bad combo for the next day. <laughs> but that's what I wanted. I wanted sushi and dumplings. So Emily literally got like, I'm not joking you, $500 worth of sushi. And we just ate oh. everything and drank so much champagne and just talked Everyone went around and said um, something that they loved about my mom or like an impression that my mom made on them, which was really, really special um, because she was such a huge part of so many of my friends' lives. Because that's just what she did. If you met her, you loved her. That's just how she was. Mm-hmm. I think about that night a lot and the relationships, how they've changed since then, um, because that was really the last night of like, that I a part of me 
a part of me died that night, you know? Because, like, once your person dies and then you have a week before you plan the funeral, you're not really alive (laughs) in that week. You're just, like, a, you're just a vessel and you're just, like, planning in this, yeah. And I feel like that really marked the beginning of my, the beginning of her death, if that makes sense. And I woke up the next morning and was like, okay, the funeral's done. She is officially not here. And now part two happens. I think it has affected my friendships in a lot of different ways. Um, some of them have grown a lot stronger and I have learned more about, you know, what they're going through because now they have someone who's grieving in their life. And sometimes when you're grieving, you, people come to you with things that they're having a hard time with too, Mm -hmm. because you're already in this place. And that's really beautiful. I think that's a really great part of like being in this place is it, makes everyone else around you a little bit more vulnerable because you're so vulnerable, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. And then there's been some friends that have just not really known what to do. And so we've grown apart a little bit and that's okay too. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I think the biggest part about like this journey for me is I don't ever want to involve you if you don't want to be involved. You know what I mean? Like if you 100%. ask me how I am and you don't actually want to know, that's okay. Don't ask. Don't ask. Mm -hmm. But it's it's okay to not want to be involved. It's okay. There is nothing wrong with you being like, I really can't even imagine what they're going through and I don't want to. Mm -hmm. And I don't really want to hear about it because that's hard for me Mm -hmm. and whatever I'm going through. Totally. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't make you lesser of a friend. Mm -hmm. Just don't make yourself available if you don't want to be. Exactly. Yep. 100%. So yeah, I think the hardest part about like the whole being with friends is, um, is sometimes just putting on a bit of a show, you know, that's something that I Mm -hmm. did a lot last year. I would, I, you know, I was drinking a lot last summer, um, and I didn't do it so much like numb the pain, but I did it just because I didn't want people to notice that I wasn't drinking or I didn't want people to like, you know, I, I got drunk or I had a lot of fun in a night because I didn't want to be noticed, I guess. I wanted to blend in because you kind of stick out. <laughs> yeah, you kind of walk in and everyone's like, oh, shit, that's uh-huh. the girl with the dead mom. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I just did my best to blend in. And sometimes that was hard because I was like, I'm totally masking this right now. And I want you to ask me what's going on, but you're not asking me because I'm having fun. Yeah, you know, I'm doing mm-hmm. like the finger quotes right now. Like I'm having fun. I'm fine. So that was the hardest part for sure. In pretending like that, I totally spiraled um, last November. I had a big, 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 big downward spiral. I had also just gone over mono, which is fucking stupid. How do you get <laughs> mono in a pandemic? I don't know. <laughs> but I just was really not doing well. Um, I really did not have to tell my friends how bad I was doing. Um, and so I didn't. And I just kind of had to figure it out. And I started going to grief counseling and I started painting, which really helped. Um, And now that I'm on the other side of that, I can be much more honest with my friends and just be like, you know what? This is not a good day for me. Or I don't want to do that thing because I don't think I'm going to enjoy it. I'm not going to put myself in the situation. Like... I've, I've become a lot more honest with myself and so I can be a lot more honest with other people around me, which I think is all that anyone wants, you know, mm-hmm. like I think having a friend who's going through this 
you don't know what to do for them. And so just being able to tell them, here's what you can do. Here's how I'm feeling. Here's where I'm at. Honestly, I think it's a huge relief and a huge weight because you don't have to ask anymore. You're just like, okay. Right. Got you. It is. When you just have that conversation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even have to be a continuous conversation. Yeah. It can be a one-time thing. Like, hey, 100%. you don't get it. And I don't expect you to. And I'm not trying to make you. And you don't have to be anything different for me than what you already are. Mm-hmm. And, like, I get it. Just yeah. that mutual understanding. Because you never know what the other person is thinking. And I think something you said is really important in that you were honest with yourself. And so I can't help but think after all of those years of therapy <laughs> that our relationships with other people, our family, our friends, whoever, are affected when there's a change within ourselves. Mm. And how did grieving your mom's death affect your relationship with yourself, with Kate Ryan? Oh my gosh. What a question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I buried a part of myself last year. Like, I am not the same person that I was last year. And I think it's a really, in a lot of really, really good ways. I have always been pretty secure in myself. I feel like I know myself pretty well. And I, I mean, I don't think that's, I've just gotten to know myself better, but I do feel like I always kind of knew myself. Mm -hmm. I kind of knew who I was and I knew what I was about. I feel really lucky that that's kind of how I feel because, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, that haven't had conversations with themselves. Um, and I had had many conversations with myself, with myself before this even happened. I think a thing that's happened that I have that I was surprised at is that I was a lot better at feeling my feelings before her death. Now that she's gone, I have a really hard time with it. Um, I don't like feeling sad. Lots of people don't. <laughs> many people, it's not a fun feeling. Not no, fun. No, no, no one really likes it. I don't think it. people sign up for it. No, but there's like it's like to a point where I'm. A, almost incapable of feeling sad. Um, and it really was not good after she died. My therapist said, uh, I had a breakdown at work. This was probably like a month maybe after she died. And I had been like sometimes crying, not really, you know, just kind of like trying to go about my day. I don't really know. I can't really honestly recall what was happening at that time. It's pretty foggy. (laughs) But I was at work and I had what I call a depression attack where I was sitting there and all of a sudden I can't, I couldn't feel my arms. Um, I couldn't move them and I couldn't, I was just sitting, I I literally couldn't type and I felt like this wave of like, I don't just, just heavy, just this wave of like a storm cloud just came over my entire body and I could barely speak. I could not move. I was just under a weighted blanket. I mean, I, it was really scary. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time that happened. And I really, really, really tried to cry and I couldn't get there because I was like, I bet if I cry, (laughs) maybe the bell, (laughs) maybe I can move through this. But I was also really, it made it worse because I was really frustrated. I was just Mm -hmm. like, just, how just end this needs to stop Mm -hmm. this needs to end and I couldn't make it end and it was really scary and so after about 20 minutes of feeling that way I got off my desk and called um the social worker that was assigned to us from Denver Hospice and I was like I don't know what to do I don't know what's going on right now 
Um, and she was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to make you cry. I was like, all right. And she, um, just worked, walked me through some stuff, really kind of helped bring that emotion out. And she told me, she was like, you are a drink dispenser. She was like, you keep putting stuff on the top, but you're not letting anything out of the spout. And she was like, and you are going to overflow. And that's what's happening right now. Your emotions have totally overcome you and they're affecting you physically and you need to learn how to let a little bit out of that spout every single day so you don't overflow like this. And I really like that analogy. Yeah. Um, really helped me. That's kind of what I worked on for a while. Um, it's just finding ways to make me emotional um, and finding ways to exert energy, whether it's emotion or not, just getting stuff out, you know? Because I was going to work every day where I sit and I was coming home every day and I was sitting, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's not um, really productive for anyone, but especially someone for someone who's grieving. And so since then, I got really into cooking. That's a huge energy thing for me. I got into exercising, which is weird because I used to hate it. Running especially has really helped me because sometimes when I run long distances it makes me cry um which is interesting i don't really know why i get overcome with emotion interesting but yeah the first time i ran a 5k because i'm talking like i could barely i couldn't Mm -hmm. run a full mile like i could not run and so the first time i ran a 5k i sobbed and it just felt so good to have that accomplishment you Mm -hmm. know and just like it really really worked for me started going to therapy and just really trying to spend some time with myself. And then recently, actually, the word truth has been, you know, a conversation within my own head a lot of like, are you being true to yourself? Are you, are you saying something and then not actually meaning it like to yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause I really think that yourself is two different people. You have your inner voice then you have your rational mm-hmm. voice oh yeah and sounds silly but something I've been doing lately is talking to myself in the mirror mm-hmm. and just really like legit like asking myself having a two-way conversation in the mirror because it helps me to check in with myself and say you felt this way yesterday what was different what did you do or you said that you were okay and you're not why did you say it what about it is not okay just having those conversations like I'm two people mm-hmm. um, because then you actually get answers, mm-hmm. you know, and then you can work through that. The more you get to know yourself, the more you can heal. And it's really scary because sometimes yourself can be really, really dark, really dark, really, really dark and hateful. Yep. And not a cool person to be around and not something that you want to be around. Mm-hmm. And you working, can't get away from them. Yeah, because it's you. <laughs> You're you. Last year, when I was in my dark hole, I was watching the show Umbrella Academy. Klaus is my favorite character on the show. As he's everyone's favorite character because he's hilarious. <laughs> but I really um, just made the decision that I was just going to be Klaus. And I was just going to go run away and be a drug addict. Um, and, and she doesn't say this joking. I'm not. She had fully decided Mm -hmm. in that moment she was done i'm not joking at all yeah i wasn't suicidal 
I didn't want to end my life, but I wanted a different life. I wanted a life where people didn't care about me. I wanted a life where no one knew me. I could just be alone, um, but also not have a mind anymore. Like, I, it sounded pretty fucking great to me. I literally wanted to run away from every... I, I So I, like, looked up communes. <laughs> like, I'm not joking yeah. here. I was serious about it. Um, but then my inner voice it was actually not nice to me. It was just like, you're never going to do it because you never do anything. <laughs> like, you know? Oh my God. It was fun. You're in this downward spiral. Seriously. Even there, you're like, well, you're not good enough for it. So. Yeah. Like, you think you'd be a drug addict? You're not that cool. <laughs> Drugs are not cool, guys. But like, literally, I was like, it was awful. It was a really, really, really dark, 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 dark time in my life. And I did not know how to get out of it at mm-hmm. all. Now, here I am. I know I'm going to be in that place again. Maybe not that specific place again, but there have been days where I have texted Mel and I said, I'm slipping Mm -hmm. and then I'm better in Mm -hmm. a a week. And I just fully, I have this really annoying habit of like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. Um, Which happens when your mom has cancer three times. um, Yeah, it sure does. (laughs) Ooh, am I damaged on my (laughs) scar? Is this my baggage? (laughs) What? That's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, so I have, I have that habit and I've been trying in my 25th year, my therapist told me, I said, what do I do next? What, what do I do? Cause I lost my mom. I, she went to hospice when I was 23. I lost her when she was 24 or when I was 24. Um, And I did not want to turn 25 because I didn't want to have a life without her. I really did not want to turn a new age because once I turn a new age, I just have to keep aging <laughs> as a result. Like, her. pretty obvious, you know, when you think about it. But I, like, literally remember it being like, oh, my God, I'm just going to keep getting older. Fuck. I'm going to keep getting older, and I'm going to keep having birthdays where she's not there. And that's just going to suck. I'm going to keep turning ages without a mother. The world is going to keep turning. Yep. And it just dawned on me for some reason when I was talking about my 25th birthday. So I talked to my therapist, and I was like, what do I do? What's my purpose? What do I do with this year? And she was like, you know what? you're going to exist. And I was like, "Hmm. (laughs) you're so lying right now. Like, what are you talking about? And she just told me, you have spent so much time and energy planning and figuring out how you're going to feel and what you're going to do when you feel that way. Yes. Prepping, asking questions, you know, lining shit up. When I feel depressed again, what do I do? What, what's going to happen? And she was like, you can't plan anymore. You just have to exist. And she does, and I was like, you're crazy out of your mind. <laughs> and what a time it's been. You 25. have been existing. I've been existing. 25 has been incredible. I have loved this age. I have loved the last six months of my life. And they have been hard and challenging, but they have been so freaking rewarding because I have just lived as simple as that sounds, it's really hard to do when you have a mind that cannot stay present. I have a really hard time. I can be in the moment. Like I'm, when I'm, when I'm with people, I'm in the moment. Mm-hmm. My mind is not always in the moment. It's a really good distinction. <laughs> that makes sense to me though. Yeah, you, know? you know, and, and I have all these plans of just like, okay, well, when you have your next depressive episode, you're going to do this. Like, and it's, you just can't do that. You can mm-hmm. have the tools and you can have the knowledge, but making plans like that 
I have found them to be detrimental. It because creates pressure. My, yeah, it does create pressure, and those plans don't work out. That's when I spiral. Because you're like, I fucking planned for it, and now what? I can't even live up to my own goddamn plan? Exactly. Exactly. So that is what I have been working on, and that is like, I know myself a lot better now because I have not been putting pressure on myself to do something or be something or be somewhere or, you know, I wake up in the morning, I do my day, I go to bed. That's as much as I'm planning. That's amazing. It's been really helpful. It makes a lot of sense why it would be helpful Mm -hmm. because you can't really plan for every little thing. Mm-hmm. And you can't plan for all the times you're going to feel bad or feel anxious or feel sad. And it's helpful to not have expectations for yourself because it's hard to meet expectations. And like you said, when you can't meet your own expectations, I feel like that's when it's easiest to fall into into mm-hmm. the grief. Totally. And kind of drown in there. 100%. When did you start grieving the loss of your mom? Because I know... Mm. Your parent dies. Do you feel like you were starting to grieve before she even died? Do you feel like it took you a while to grieve after she died? You know, I feel like I started grieving probably during that depressive state. I wasn't ignoring it, but I wasn't acknowledging it so much. Like I, like I said, I talk about it a lot, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know. I don't feel it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the reason that period of my life was so heavy and dark is because it was a lot of emotion that I finally did not open the gate to, but the gate was opened anyway. Mm-hmm. And it just like attacked me. Like it attacked me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like that's probably the first time I started processing my grief. Maybe I, again, super annoying thing about me. I, I can't eat when I'm, when I'm in that place. And so I, wasn't eating a whole lot last summer, um, which is not good. So I know it was there. It was affecting me, but I wasn't doing anything to work through it. Um, and actually, that depressive state started after I started grief counseling. I had started grief counseling before because, like I said, planner, prepper. I was like, ah, I think my grief might be coming soon. <laughs> I remember the conversation because you were talking to me and you were like, yeah, like, I feel like nothing. Like, I'm pretty numb. Don't feel anything. But I feel like um, it's coming. And <laughs> you were like, what do I do? Like, do I, who should I talk to about this? What should I do? I think I'm going to try counseling. I don't know. It's probably nothing. Mm-hmm. And thank God you were there. Yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, when it started after I started counseling, which is the thing that people are afraid of about therapy. You know, mm-hmm. people don't want to do therapy because it hurts. they know it's going to hurt. I literally didn't know <laughs> how badly it was going to hurt. I was like, therapy's supposed to help you. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. Therapy makes you feel good. You go and you get better. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. It's like cold medicine. It's easy. Yeah. Um, it's true in the long run, but in the short run, it is tough it's really hard <laughs> it is painful, painful but it hurts so good <laughs> yep uh-huh um so that's what was happening there i definitely think like to starting therapy is what caused my grief process to begin um thank goodness thank goodness because i could still be numb and you then know? this would not hit you 
for a while. And for then it's maybe been years. And then years, I, yeah. And then something really bad happens. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm really glad the worst thing that happened was me lying in bed at night thinking about being a drug addict. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Nothing happened. I didn't hurt myself. I didn't hurt anyone around me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all in my head. And I was able to work through it really healthily. And that's amazing. I'm so lucky. So kind of final thought for you. Mm -hmm. How do you feel it made a difference to be able to talk about your grief with other people who have felt it? Because I know that I'm not the only one in your life who's lost a parent or someone important to them. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of them in your life. You have a lot of people who have grieved. Yeah. And do how do you feel like that has affected you being able to open up? I think you are one of the only people, no, that's not true. You are the only person that I talk as deeply with. You're the only person that I, that I really go this route with um, because I trust you. And I also know that we are on, we have similar things up in our noodles. <laughs> so it's easy to talk to you about it. Um you know, as awful as it is and as shitty of a club as this is to be in, I love talking to other club members about what's going on in a really bright way. Like, I, there is something about saying, I was at the grocery store and I couldn't find gluten-free pasta and I know that I could have called my mom and she would have found it for me and having that person go oh don't you hate that I hate when I'm at the repair shop and they ask me what type of oil I need in my car and I can't call my dad and ask him like just stuff like that that is like the moment where I feel the most heard and the most seen and the most comforted is when I can say something offhand about losing my mom that's not sad that's not scary and having someone else say Oh my God, I totally get you. Because yes. sometimes when you say that stuff to people who aren't grieving and haven't lost someone, they're like, oh, I'm sorry. And it's like, just uncomfortable. It is super uncomfortable. And that's not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for your sympathy. I'm looking for someone to say, doesn't that fucking suck? <laughs> this sucks. Right? That's... And to be able to really understand. Because you know when somebody who's been through it says to you, don't you hate that? You oh. know. You know they there mean that. There is not a better phrase in the world. I, no, that's I not know. true. That's crazy to say. But, but in that moment, it's that so is. comforting. Yes. It's so comforting to just say, I hate this about my mom's death. And have someone else say, I hate that about my parents' death too. Yeah. Ugh. It's so, you're a part of a community. And like mm-hmm. you said, it's the club no one wants to join, but it is a community. It is. And you could, it could be a literal stranger, mm-hmm. but to have that kind of empathy from them yep, makes you connected in a way you might not be connected to your friend with. Totally. It's really cool. It is. It is. Yeah. I think it's like, it's so hard and it makes me so sad that I know so many people that have gone through this and are going through this, but it is like... It's such a comfort and it's such a beautiful, shitty way to connect with people. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. That's that. That's that. Yeah. That's Kate's story. That's my story. 
Um, it's still going. Your story's yeah. still going. You know, everyone's story's still going. And I think about that a lot of like, you know, I've gotten this far and how much further I could go. And then also that I know I'm going to take some steps back, you know? Grief, we talk about this a lot. Grief is not linear. And that's a really, really hard thing for me because I keep, I, I would ask my therapist all the time, what's next? What's going to happen next? Well, I even remember we, we were here and you were like, so which stage are you in now, Mel? Just because my mom died before Kate's mom. <laughs> and she would ask me, she's like, it kind of seemed like you're in anger stage and that last time I saw you. Are you in denial? Like, are we, are we at bargaining yet? <laughs> and I remember being like, that's a really good question that I don't even know how to answer, but you do want things to happen in steps so you mm-hmm. can prep and plan yep yeah and I want also to know how long shit's gonna last <laughs> I'm like how long am I gonna feel like this how long <laughs> what the hell I'm gonna wake up tomorrow it's gonna be nice. <laughs> what about next day? what about next week what are you how are we feeling about next week <laughs> um so that's been the most like you know eye-opening part about it for me and and so much of my um work has kind of gone to you know just like I said existing and not planning for the next phase and like waking up in the morning and and understanding how I feel and not trying to change it. Oh, oh my gosh. That is so powerful. Well, it's so exhausting <laughs> to try and change what you feel. You can't. You cannot. And it's just going to do damage if you mm-hmm. try. So that's been the huge part for me is just under like knowing that no one knows anything about anything, especially me. Mm-hmm. I don't know jack shit about what's going <laughs> no. on. And I need to stop trying. Mm-hmm. I just need to experience, experience, accept. And if I can't accept, find a way to get through it. You know? Like, like we're here. Yeah. You might as well. <laughs> not going to go anywhere. You know? This grief is not going to go anywhere. And everything be here. comes back. Yeah. You can work through an emotion, work through it, work through it, work through it. And, you know, I hear that phrase often, like, the emotion you need to work through will always come back to you. Yeah. And I don't know if I fully believe that, because I think that even if I work through my hardest, darkest emotion, it'll still probably come back. Mm -hmm. But it'll come back in a different way. And I think that, like, when you say grief isn't linear, that's what it means. Like, you might get through the denial, quote-unquote, stage. Mm -hmm. But then... Three years later, you might be like, my mom's not dead. Wait a minute. There's no way my mom can be dead. But it's just a different feeling. Totally. Because it's not so much of a, you truly don't believe it. But you're like, there's no fucking way. I'm, yeah. I'm 20, whatever. Like, yeah. no. Or, you know, you work through anger. You're pissed. Whatever. Okay, years later, you might feel that same feeling. But just having the tools to cope with it when it comes and hits you. So the next time it does hit you, it's not as big of a blow. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think one of the most helpful things my therapist ever told me, and it sounds so simple, but like, that's okay. I'm going to say that a lot. It sounds simple (laughs) because I think a huge part of my grief journey (laughs) has been simplicity. You know, someone can say like such a straightforward thing that everyone is like, yeah, everyone knows that. I could be like, mind blowing. (laughs) What did you say? Can you repeat that? Like, Seriously, because it, it, I just think so far ahead. Mm-hmm. That when someone says something simple and to the point and like what's happening right now, I'm like, oh my, what? <laughs> what are you talking that's about? real? Yeah, so that's th- those are huge for me. But she said, you can climb out of rock bottom because you've done it before. That was humongous. I wrote that down because I was like, yeah, you're so right. I, I did this 
Yeah. I did it. I was in the worst place of my life, and now I'm in the best place of my life. I fucking did it. I'm going to go back there again. I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't know what it's going to look like. But I know that I'll be able to climb out again because I've already fucking done it. I, I remember it you talking to me about this conversation you had with your therapist. And you like going into that conversation with your therapist thinking... I'm terrified to fall again, and I notice my routine is slipping a little bit, and I notice that I'm not doing my biking every single day like I used to. I'm not doing this. What's happening? Like, I'm afraid. I don't want to fall where I fell before. And mm-hmm. so that statement totally changed the trajectory of where your thoughts were going. Totally. Which totally changed the trajectory of how you dealt with life. If I hadn't, if she hadn't told me that, I think it's likely I would have fully slipped again. Yeah. And I mean, there have been days, like I said before, where I wake up and I'm just like, mm, today's not the day. And it hasn't been as deep and dark as it was. And it's not to say that I, you know, again, I, I might go back to that hole at some point. But like, just acknowledging that I might be slipping and saying it's okay has been helpful for me. Because before, I'm like, I'm having a bad feeling. Combat it. Defense. Mm-hmm. Like, whips get do something to get rid of it and now i'm like you're having bad feeling have the bad feeling because you're going to be okay you're mm-hmm. going to come out on the other side and just having that knowledge is like the most helpful thing for me in the entire world because you don't always have to combat everything you you it's okay to have a really 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 bad day and it's probably better to have a really 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 bad day instead of shoving it away and you have a really really bad month you know, like and a really, really bad life. Yes. Yeah. The feelings don't ever go away. They're yeah. going to come right back around. And I wouldn't even say, I was thinking about this the other day. I don't even say things get better. Things just get different and you become more equipped to mm. handle it. I love that. Because I don't think things get better. No. Like completely honestly, I think that you just become different like you're talking about right now. Yeah. And you're able to handle it better. You become stronger and resilient. And it's a beautiful, amazing thing, especially to watch in you. Thanks, Mel. It's true. (laughs) Okay. Jesus. (laughs) So rude of you to make me get so emotional. I can't even believe I was able to get her to cry, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe I got choked up. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding, everyone. Um, So there you have it, you guys. that was my story if you have any questions or if you want to follow up on anything uh please shoot an email to deadmomsociety at gmail.com we can kind of talk about it or if you have anything that's relatable or anything like that we would love to start reading uh people's emails at the end of the episode just so everyone can feel heard and if there's anything that you want to address we would love to incorporate that into the ending of our episodes which we're trying to do right now at the end of every episode, we really want to cover a topic uh, of just something quick, something like a tool. Like we said in the first episode, our tools and our toolkit. We are both very therapized, <laughs> but we also have done a really good job, in my opinion, of therapizing ourselves mm-hmm. and figuring out tools that we can use by ourselves, which has been really exciting and very helpful and, dare I say, life-saving. Uh, probably yes. <laughs> you shouldn't say that. Okay. I'll say it. I'll say it. I'll say it. But so we would like to cover a tool this time. And we kind of, in the intro, talked a little bit about 
feeling guilty and feeling a little bit insecure about our grief. And Mel has some lovely tools that we can use when we're feeling that kind of way. Some little self-check-in questions we can ask ourselves to kind of get out of that headspace. Yeah. I'll give a shout out to my therapist before spewing all the words that she tells me. So (laughs) um, I am a huge control freak. And that is something I work on a lot through my grief and in therapy um, because I wish I could control everything in life. Like, I think a lot of people wish they could, and I wish that I could control the way other people react to what I'm saying. And I think a big part of feeling guilty and insecure about talking about our grief is not knowing how other people are uh, taking it in. And so I think that being able to talk about our moms is really important to us. And so my therapist would always ask me the question, if you were at a friend gathering or with family or whatever, and they felt like they needed to talk about their dead mom, and they were, would would you feel annoyed? Would you feel irritated? Would you feel like you don't want to spend time with them anymore? And of course, my answer is no. And I think most people would say no. You know, there's going to be this few outliers. So that's one way to frame it. When you're in that moment of feeling like, oh my God, I'm so self-conscious about talking about my mom's death. This is really awkward. Okay, but if someone else were in my shoes, I wouldn't feel that way. I would feel like this person really needs to get something off their chest. I'm so glad they feel like they can. And then another way to work around it um, is to understand that you can't control someone else's reaction to you and that another person's emotions and reactions are completely their own responsibility. So You can't know for sure that someone's going to take what you're saying, quote unquote, the right way or not be irritated or annoyed with what you're saying. But does it matter if that's not your responsibility? Because in that moment, your responsibility is to take care of your emotion. And your emotion is feeling like you want to talk about your dead mom. And you're taking care of it by talking about your dead mom. And whatever someone else may feel because you did that is their own responsibility to take care of. If someone is feeling annoyed, maybe it's their responsibility to check in with themselves and it really has nothing to do with us. So for me, that helps some of my insecurity and guilt when I'm feeling like I'm feeling guilty or insecure about talking about my mom. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think, like I said before, death is a part of life and everyone's going to go through at some point and you never know by talking about your experience, you might open up the door for someone else. Because this is such a relatable topic and this is something that everyone feels something about. I was just in Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago with a couple of my friends and they were friends that I hadn't seen since my mom had passed. And I wasn't feeling nervous about it, but I was definitely feeling like, is this going to come up? Because they all knew my mom and they all loved my mom. And my mom was such a huge part of uh, so many of my friendships because she was just a wonderful human being and everyone adored her. And so I kind of knew it was going to come up, but I wasn't really sure how or when or why and it did come up (laughs) and I completely took control of the situation I very much was like these are people that I adore these people that love my mom and I'm going to be open I'm going to talk about it and it's going to be okay and it totally opened the door for the rest of my friends there to talk about their own experiences with death and it wasn't some weird thing of people looking at me being like we're sorry it was like we're sorry you went through this And we also can understand it because we've also gone through it. It's different, but it's the same. Grief is grief. 
Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's also kind of nice sometimes to step back and just say, my experience might be unique, but it's also very universal. And you never know what a service you could be doing for other people by opening up about your grief because someone might have just been waiting for someone to say the word death mm-hmm. for them to get something off their chest. And as, as it sounds, you know, we talk about we're in a club, we're in a society. It's a bad club to be in, but there are so many members. And meeting and talking with people who are a part of this club can be really comforting and it can be really helpful for so many people. So I think it's cool to not shy away from it sometimes because you never know who's who needs to open up and who needs to talk about it yeah. just as much as you. Yeah. It's that feeling of you opening up, feeling unsure about it, feeling guilty about it, and hearing that other person chime in and say, oh my gosh, yeah, that sucks. Because they know it sucks because they've been through it. Mm-hmm. And so not only is a validation for someone you don't know you're giving validation to, but it's validation for you knowing that someone's there with you mm-hmm. and you're there for someone. Mm-hmm. That's what makes the world go around. It's people relating to people, you know? Mm-hmm. It is. You, that's that's how you feel connected. It's how you feel loved. It's it's a sense of community. And, you know, this is a, it's a tough community to be a part of, but it's also gigantic. And yeah. there can be some really amazing people that can make you feel very supported and very loved and very comforted. Mm-hmm. So why not? Add why it not to your toolbox. Yeah. There you go. Bring it with you. <laughs> Bring it with you. It's like a hammer, but different. <laughs> you really hit the nail on the head there, Mel. Thank you. That's what I thought. Using a hammer, perhaps? <laughs> God. Okay. Did I drill that one in enough? Oh, oh my God. Somebody put me out with a fire extinguisher. I am really just not measuring up to you right now. (laughs) I am not on your level. Oh my god! No! Okay. I'm just gonna climb the ladder of success with you, though. Okay. Anyway. Okay. That was good. Margarita who? Uh, <laughs> you said who now? Okay. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> Anywho. Um, thanks for listening. Our socials, we forgot to mention them last time. We are on Instagram at Dead Mom Society. You can email us at deadmomsociety at gmail.com. We have a website. <laughs> we also have a website, deadmomsociety.com. I think so. <laughs> okay, TBD on that one. I don't even remember what we'll it is. We'll put it in the bio. We'll put all of our things in the bio of this episode. We'll put it in the bio. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we'll also put it on our Instagram, which you can follow. <laughs> <laughs> but you can only see all of our socials if you follow our Instagram. I, I guess. I guess. That's, That's I the hope deal. that makes sense. The deal, people. That's the deal. Yeah. Thanks for listening. And as always, it is what it is. And it's okay to not be okay. See you next week. Bye.